Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here this morning. Uh, if you're new, my name is Ryan, and um, welcome to Restoration. We're glad you're here. Uh, a couple things I wanted to pass your way. We're going we're gonna to take our offering right now, and so... Um, something we do every service, we, we just pass this bag. And if you'd like to be a part of that, great. Um, just keeping things rolling for us as a church this year um, as we wind down. And uh, we're just so thankful for those of you who kind of just give as, a, as an act of worship. So thank you. A uh, couple of things um, happening. I, I'm here to announce the the Sunika group, um, they're all up in a yurt camping uh, this weekend, and they wanted me to announce that um, we are in the final stages of, of raising money for uh, these bathrooms we want to put, we want to help put into a little village in Nicaragua. Uh, a group of our church went down there this last September, and, and we're trying to help fund some bathroom projects um, down in um, Nicaragua, and we would love for you to be a part of this. Uh, we're actually teaming up with a number of other church communities all over the country to try to do 130 bathrooms um, in this village. And so they've done the clean water project, but now the deal is we're going to try to put some bathrooms in every home in this village. And so we are trying to get uh, four bathrooms taken care of, three to four. And uh, so if you'd like to be a part of that, you can go to our website, and there is actually a link to do this. Um, and so if your family has some extra end-of-the-year giving that you would like to be a part of that, we would love to have you jump in. This next year, yes, $1,000. So $1,000 actually puts a bathroom into a house um, in this little village of Nicaragua. So great question. Um, but now I lost my train of thought. Great job, Terry. All right, let's pray. Let's all leave. A um, couple of things. Uh, this next year, um, which is only, what, two weeks away, uh, we are, are going to do our best to connect many of you who want to be a part of some of the groups that we have at our church and some groups we're going to be starting. And so if you are interested in being a part of a smaller community that meets um, throughout the week, um, every other week, whatever, we would love for you to get connected. And so, um, and you can, there's a connection card in your row. Um, you, can, you can write your name, email address, whatever you're comfortable giving us as far as information. And, and we will do our best to connect you into a group this next, uh, this next year. So, and then last thing is Christmas Eve Eve. Uh, our church does something different. We don't do a Christmas Eve service, um, and it's just, there's a long story there, um, but part of it is, well, we can't rent this, this space on Christmas Eve, so we decided to do it the day before, which turns out you all love. So um, Christmas Eve Eve is Saturday night, uh, 5.30 here, and uh, we would love for you to do a couple of things, really. One, pray about and invite people um, in your life to be a part of this. So it's about a 45, 50-minute service, and we're going to candlelight, uh, have some candlelighting at the end um, and some, some good stuff to eat out there. But this is a great time to invite people who had never really thought about coming to a church service. So we'd love to have you do that. Also, we have some um, ways for you can help us set up. Uh, we're actually going to set up the service at 9 o'clock on Friday morning. So if you'd like to help be a part of that, help us put the little candle things together, all that kind of fun stuff. We'd love to have you join us here for that. And then um, I also have to let you know, this is our last Sunday of the year. I don't know if you knew this, but we do not meet 
um, on a Sunday the rest of the year. So um, Christmas Eve is a Sunday. We are not meeting, and then we are not meeting as a church publicly um, on a New, Year, New Year's Eve. So the next time we are going to gather on a Sunday morning is January 7th. I hope you're okay with that. But um, it just gives us a chance to give uh, our whole crew, our children's team who work so hard, our roadie crew a break, and uh, plus they won't rent it to us on New Year's Eve. So there's that. There's that. So um, we're just taking a nice big breather. So we're glad you're here. We're super pumped you're here. And uh, let me pray and we'll get started. God, thank you for um, being a God who is recklessly chasing after us that your love for us is, is unrelenting. Um, it has no strings attached. And we can't even earn it. God, we're just, uh, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. That you as the creator of the universe would love us so much that, that you would do the unthinkable and become a child to announce a different kingdom and then ultimately to, to redeem us. And so this morning we gather with all the thoughts and anxieties and fears, all the pain that comes with um, this time of year and, and the joy as well. And we, and we bring that all to the table this morning, God. And we ask that you would work in us, move in us, and... Um, change us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So the last three weeks, we have been in uh, a discussion around Advent. And the first week, we talked about longing and this idea that all human beings have longing. And, and I don't know if you remember, we talked about um, this Julian Barnes quote. And Julian Barnes is a, an atheist and a secularist, and he wrote this book basically wrestling with mortality as someone who does not believe in a divine being. And he wrote the first line of his book, uh, his book's called, one of his books is called Nothing to be Frightened of. He wrote, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. And, and there's this idea, I think, in all of us that there's longing in us that, that we can't shake, that there's some itch in us that we, we can't really seem to figure out. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the healing of Advent, and, and we talked about all these different places in our lives where we're broken and we're hurting, um, and we talked about this need to just, uh, in some ways, the healing of Advent is the community together. And then last week, Randy talked about the waiting of Advent and how there's this in-between that we experience, like that Jesus has come and, then that, and, and all the work he's done for us on the cross, and yet we're still waiting for the final peace. We're in-between. And so I think the reality for us is, is we, we all experience in our lives, in our hearts, in our, our day-to-day you know, working through this world, we experience attention a frustration, that things aren't as they should be. And so today we're going to wrap up this series in Advent and we're going to be talking about just that broad topic of love. Just, let's just talk about love. I mean, it's just, I mean, that's easy to pin down, right? 
I mean, this idea that, that love in, in, in the form of a child and what that means for us, like what's the significance of that long-term and how God shows up, shows his love and how different it is than we might expect. And so we're gonna take a look at a story. It's a really curious account in the book of Luke. And I'm gonna begin reading it. It's about two characters in the book of Luke. Chapter two, verse 22, it says, when the time came... For the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, that's Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated, not concentrated, consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. This is straight out of Leviticus. There's a certain way you do things. There's a certain rhythm to your life as parents when your child is born. And one of those is this. And so they want to keep with that, Mary and Joseph do. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that's just another word for the comfort, the the resolution, like the, the hope of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He's basically saying, okay, I can die now. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Those are some hard words. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So what we have here is two really interesting characters. And in in customary kind of Jewish legal form, what we have here is actually two witnesses. Two legal witnesses to who Jesus is. And as Luke is writing this account, he is trying to uh, paint a picture and, and, and pull together all the arguments and all the witnesses because he's writing to a guy named Theophilus. And he's trying to convince Theophilus of everything of who Jesus is. And these are two of the witnesses. 
Now, these two characters are really kind of interesting because they, they both kind of uh, embody those themes we've been talking about, longing and healing and waiting. They, they, these are two characters that, that really have just stuck it out as far as, as far as the Jewish people, right? I mean, they have just waited and longed for the Messiah. We got Simeon who... Um, He's like, okay, I can die now, right? Like, have you ever met anybody like that? Okay, the best day of my life, I can die now. That's Simeon. I mean, he's, he's waited for this day all his life. It says the Holy Spirit's on him. Um, and, and the Holy Spirit, as scripture says, is, is the peace of God and the comfort of God. And he's been leaning into this hope. He's been leaning into this hope and he's been experiencing peace. And then the moment comes and the Holy Spirit leads him to the temple and he meets the Messiah. And I, I kind of picture this kind of, it's probably lame, but I picture this kind of Lion King moment you know, where he like holds the baby up and then all the animals of it, never mind. I'm just <laughs> stupid. But um, there's some, some uh, Asabania going on there. So there's this joy he has, this relief he has. But here's the interesting thing about Simeon. Like he's got this one moment and I, I don't know, maybe he just walked off and died. I don't know. But he never gets to see a miracle. He never gets to see a healing. He never gets to hear Jesus talk and talk about this new kingdom that's happening. He never sees any of this stuff. And I just think that is so amazing because his circumstances didn't change at all. At all. And he's filled with joy because of his encounter with Jesus. Nothing changed in his life. He didn't get to see all the stuff that he, he thought would happen because of the Messiah. He just got to see the Messiah. The second person, Anna, this is a really interesting character too. I mean, when you think about it, she comes from this little tribe, Asher, this, this kind of small, um, unimportant tribe. And she, she's married for seven years and then her husband dies. And in that day and age, uh, that was a big deal. I mean, her, her whole uh, provision, everything in her life kind of revolved around what her husband could accomplish. And yet her husband dies and she chooses not to remarry. And I, I bet you there was a lot of pressure on her to remarry. I bet you there was a lot of pressure on her in, in her society, with her family, to have children. It doesn't say they even have children. And all the suffering and the pain that she had and she sees, finally, she sees the Messiah. She sees this little, this child, this Messiah, and she, she's overwhelmed with purpose and meaning. And, and, and she says she ran around, she starts telling people all about Jesus. Now, this is just a curious story. I, a lot of times I've passed over this. I'm like, well, that's kind of neat, whatever. Um, but there's the shepherds. Those guys are a big deal. And then there's all the other stuff going on. Simeon and Anna, it was just like, I was like, what is going on? Now, it's interesting because when I think about what Luke's trying to do, Luke's trying to tell the story of who Jesus is. He's not only trying to tell the story of who Jesus is, he's trying to tell the story of what is happening. And what's happening is the kingdom of God is actually breaking into the world. And he's telling this story. And it's not a fairy tale. It's actually something really counterintuitive. It's, it's there, there's like a huge tension in it. Because the challenge is that it doesn't happen 
it doesn't happen in the way we would expect it to happen. Messiah coming to earth. It doesn't happen the way we think it should happen. We expected, they expected, many people expected a military ruler, a leader, somebody who was going to slice and dice their way and make things happen. But the reality is, is Jesus is born to a peasant family. We talked about the first week of Advent, how he experienced exile. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's like this whole manger scene. It's not like some um, hygiene. I mean, it was just like, it was dirty and, and everything around this whole picture is something you wouldn't expect a Messiah to be a part of. And so there's this interesting tension in scripture. You got this idea of a conquering king. And at the same time, scripture talks about a suffering servant. Talks about both. And I think Simeon got it. And I think Anna got it. I think they understood that that this wasn't going to be a flashy deal. And both those things are woven together, the conquering king and the suffering servant. They're kind of both woven together. See, the story of Christmas is not about some distant, unfeeling God who doesn't want to get his hands dirty. No, it's the story of a deeply loving and compassionate God taking on humanness, the humanness of humanity, and suffering to bring about redemption. And that suffering, that that part is about the love. God doesn't redeem us from the outside. He redeems us from the inside, out. That's the story. There's this solidarity with us. That's this, this idea of in the places of our pain, in the places of our suffering and our loss, and, and seeing our temptation, that all of that is up close and personal. It's where we are. And that's exactly what's happening here. See, your pain, your suffering, your hardships, it, it, it's, it's more than that. It's more than Jesus just can identify it because he went through all those human things. But then in the, at the cross, he takes it on for us. That's the good news. That's the beauty of it all. And he makes it all this stuff final. And his love suffers for us and it suffers with us. See, this idea of being blessed by God doesn't mean that we won't have suffering. But that God goes through it in the form of Jesus. God goes through it with us. So, and we're not promised prosperity. We're, we're just promised purpose. And so this, this whole um, event, this beautiful event of Messiah coming, the incarnation, is really about God's love for us. Second thing that's really, really cool, Simeon, he talks in his prayer to God how this is going to be for all people. He mentions Gentiles, and then secondarily, he mentions the Jewish people, which had to be pretty scandalous to say. If anybody was hearing him say this, had to be super scandalous. And he's kind of referring to a section in Isaiah, Isaiah 62. Let me read this for you. It goes like this. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see your Savior comes. 
See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after. The city no longer deserted. Two things I want to show you there. That first word is recompense. No one uses that word. Maybe you do. I don't know. I haven't heard you say it. I've heard none of you say it. Recompense. What, what in the world is recompense? So I looked it up. What's that? Com- it is. Nailed it. See, we have a writer over here. That's why he uses it. There's two different definitions for this. One of them is to give something by way of compensation as for a service rendered or damage incurred. Does that make sense? The second one is to pay for something, just to straight up pay for something. And so both of these ideas are actually what we see in in the doctrine of the atonement. This is what we see when Jesus, when when biblical language uses things like uh, Jesus paid for all, paid for us all, and, 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 and bought us with a price. This idea is recompense. The second thing I want to talk about is this idea of God calling his people sought after. That's so beautiful. Like, have you ever been sought after? Like, do you remember what that was like to be a little kid and you were picked to be on a team, you know? And you're just like, yeah. (laughs) Or maybe you were sought after for a job recently, your career, um, people like sought you out and, and, and wanted you to come be a part of their organization. Maybe you've experienced this romantically. And you know what that's like to be pursued and sought after. This idea that that the creator of the universe, the God of the universe calls you and I his sought after. That is amazing. That we are the overflow of his love. Like before you were known as, maybe in your own life, in your own heart, you were known as a screw up or not enough or a failure or unloved or whatever you kind of wrote in your own life. You are sought after. And according to scripture, this is who you are. And this is why we call it good news. Last summer, I think I told, we told you guys the story, if you were around um, one Sunday uh, of our camping trip. And every year we go up to Lake Guernsey to camp and, and boat and do all this stuff. And And last year, on our last night, uh, we were um, illegally boating. I think it was legal. Someone told me it wasn't, but I I still think it was. It was dark. You're not supposed to be out on the lake after dark. And we were, and and it was a good thing we were. We come around the corner, and some of you know the story, but we see a car um, at the boat dock about 500 yards away, and we were freaked out that it was the ranger who was going to bust us. Yes, your pastor. Um, Boating with others, it it was their fault. Anyhow, (laughs) we see these headlights, and we're like, oh, no, that's the ranger. And then the headlights start coming down the boat ramp, and we're like, oh, that's definitely the ranger. He's just going to, like, put his lights on, and we're dead. But the car kept going into the lake, drove straight into the lake, Headlight, you could see the headlights just disappear underwater. 
So we head over there as soon as we, 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 as fast as we could. And by the time we got there, there was a car about 50 feet away from the shore and it was floating away from shore and it was sinking. And there was a young woman in it and we jumped out. Uh, there was about four of us there. We jumped out of the boat. It was like 10 o'clock at night and we swam a car, which was never on my bucket list until it happened. But we, we pushed a car. It was still floating barely back to the shore and, 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 and help this woman get out. And, and I, I remember telling you this story and we got a chance to, to be in touch with her. See, there's something happening in her life and there was addiction that had creeped into her life. And, and at the time that we pulled her out of this car, she, there was a lot in her system. And there was a part of her that wanted to die. That her life had gotten to a place that uh, she felt unloved uh, she felt unworthy. She felt that no one uh, needed her. And there were so many things in her life that pulled her towards addiction. And she went to a detox and, and, and through a conversation with the ranger, um, who still didn't know we were out, <laughs> um, and um, he, he put us in touch with a sister. And we started communicating and writing letters. And, and we have been writing back and forth with Katie for the last number of months. And she wrote uh, just a few weeks ago, um, and she is doing well. She's in treatment. She is, she's gotten a job. She's applying for school. She looks back at this time as like this moment in her life that could have gone one way or the other. She realizes now that she's loved. She realizes now that her family cares for her, that there's people in her life that care for her. She, she says, she wrote to us, she says, um, now I have brothers and a family in Colorado. It's just a, like a really, really beautiful thing. And, and the reason why I bring that up is that I think some of us, many of us get into a, a rhythm in our life and we forget and we don't understand and we have a hard time letting the love of God sink in. We really have a hard time with it. And it's like a kid opening presents. And I don't know if you've ever seen this happening, but a kid will just be so excited to open presents and then they'll start ripping open presents. And I just saw this not too long ago when I watched a kid open a present, ripping it open. And they're like, this is awesome. What is it? Right? There's something about us that just, we go, what is this? What is this love of God? What is this? What does this mean? And I think a lot of times we have a hard time letting it soak in because many of us have written a story or have allowed other people to write a story, write a script for our life. That somehow in this, in this world we operate in and, and with the people in our lives, the people who have helped form us and shape us in our lives, we have believed a story about ourselves that isn't entirely true. And maybe, maybe you're like that. Maybe uh, you have a, a mother or father that told you that you were a screw-up. Or maybe the sum of your experiences and the words and the phrases that have been spoken over you have kind of participated in writing a script that you live by unintentionally. 
that there's, there's religious scripts, like you're a moral failure <laughs> kind of things. And then there's, there's maybe even secular scripts that tell you that it, nothing matters. You don't really matter. And, and the combined pain in this room, having lived out those scripts in our lives, is real. It's really, really real. That... Their Aristotelian definition of a tragedy is when a hero comes face to face with his true identity. That when a hero understands like who they really are, that's, that's the definition of a tragedy in literature. And, and in tragedy in literature is also known as a catastrophe. Um, and our default, when we walk around this earth and we don't really let the love of God sink into us and we still live off of the same, the same story that gets recycled over and over in our lives, we're basically walking, breathing tragedies. And Jesus didn't come and announce a different kingdom and die for you so that you could continue to walk around in that kind of pain. And let that keep recycling over and over. Because that's not what's true about you. Scripture tells us that many of us have experienced that our God-given, our God-given Christ-purchased identity. It's a new identity. It's a new name. You are sought after. You are sought after. And so when we, the, the gospel basically is a spectacularly good thing happening to spectacularly bad people. Invading our own story. Titus chapter three, verses four through seven says this. But when the kindness and the love of God, our savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus, Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. See, this is where it gets really, really good. When you understand, when you begin to understand and let that love sink in and change your script, and when you begin to walk in this way that you already are, like becoming who you already are, you are sought after. You become heirs. You become heirs, and it says, you having heirs, having the hope of eternal life. That, like it, it, it has this reverberating effect on your world. Ephesians talks about, this little, this little line in Ephesians talks about that we would have this ability to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of Christ really is. So a couple things, just to recap. Jesus comes as a suffering servant and he walks through the same pain that you and I walk through. And he shows his love for us through that. He comes for everybody as Simeon talks about. And the final thing is this, that this love that we have a hard time understanding that should and could change everything in our life has a way, 
it has a way to spread to others in a really, really tangible way. See, God's love through my life, through your life, we're meant to be, and we've talked about this a number of times before, we're meant to be funnels and not bowls. Meaning that you are now the living, if, you, if Jesus is your, if your allegiance is to the King Jesus, your life is now an imitation of his. Meaning now, you are the living embodiment of God's love to this world. I hope that sinks in. Especially when you're looking for a parking spot later today. Or you're struggling with uh, a, 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 an in-law that's coming to visit or whatever that's happening in your life. You are the living, breathing, walking embodiment of what God's love is. You are, the, you, are, you are the taste of it. Simeon gets to hold the baby, gets to hold Jesus. I know that's unremarkable, but he makes this huge promise. He, he, he makes this huge encouraging peace to Mary. And I, I find it really interesting where he talks about a sword will pierce you also, Mary. And he talks about the suffering that Jesus, when he says also, it means that Jesus is going to experience that same kind of suffering, but that Mary's also going to experience it. And I bet you the day that Mary looked up on the cross and watched Jesus dying on the cross, she remembered those words from Simeon. She remembered those words, and those words from Simeon actually were encouraging at that moment. Because up until, if, if, she, if Simeon had never said those words, she could have probably, I'm the worst mother ever. What did I do to deserve this? Is it my fault that, you, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like the, those words from, from Simeon were actually really encouraging. Those were loving words from Simeon. People who are sought out and you are sought out people by the living God, you give that love away. Loved people love people. That's how it goes. And here's how it looks. It looks like this. It looks like generosity in an age of scarcity. It looks like being generous people. It looks like humility in the age of entitlement. It looks like compassion in the age of contempt. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's a pretty contemptuous world we live in. It's forgiveness in the age of revenge. It's weakness in an age of self-sufficiency. It's surrender in an age of control. This idea of forgiveness in an age of revenge, I watched a video that was produced by the Today Show. I was gonna show it, but it was really long. Um, about this woman whose child, her son was killed at Sandy Hook. And this video is just, it is so powerful because she talks about her process of healing and forgiving. And she said that in the video, she said that I felt like I had an umbilical cord tied to the shooter. Her little boy who was killed in one of the classrooms, 20, it was 20 kids and six teachers, I believe. And she said until, and forgiveness for me, she said, was cutting the cord. And she talks about this, the shooter by name. His name was Adam Lanza. And she talks about the shooter by name. And people say, well, how, could you even, how can you even utter her, his name? And she said, because he was a human being too. 
And, and, and if I can't say, I mean, he was a broken little boy that, that came to this spot. He, goes, she wasn't, he wasn't born a mass murderer. And her forgiveness and, and what she's doing now to help uh, victims and to deal with all this stuff is just really powerful. So forgiveness in an age of revenge. See, the incarnation is actually love on display. It's actually this beautiful, it's, a, it's, it's, it's actually love, love showing us what love is and that love is time consuming, love is inconvenient, love is dirty, it's difficult, it's dangerous. And you know what? Love is really discouraging. And all of these things is, I could just, Jesus experienced all of this in his love for us. And so this morning, as we wrap up our series in Advent, and we talk about what this love means, it means everything. It means how you live. It means how you see yourself. Scott McKnight is a scholar and writer, and he wrote, he wrote this at one of, the end of his, one of the ends of his books. He says, you are the announcement of how the one true God is rescuing the world. You are. You are that announcement. I am that announcement. 